Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, your one-stop weekly stop for to find out everything that's going on this week from a perspective that they don't want you to know about. I'm Kevin Barrett with special guest commentator Lucy Morgan Edwards. Hey, Lucy, great to have you back. Good to be back, Kevin. It's been a while. It has, and all sorts of crazy things have happened, and the world isn't getting any better. But what else is new? Uh, let's do our disclaimers here. So we don't uh, get sued, deplatformed, or uh, perhaps summarily executed by drone strike. So first, question everything is our motto. If you can't handle questions, you'd better uh, look for some answers. Um, what else? We're oh, we offer disturbing material here. So you can either close your eyes in the parts that you don't want to see, turn the channel, or otherwise simply sit back and be disturbed. And finally, we do. Uh, offer medical and mental health treatment for a very low fee. No, no, I'm just kidding. We don't. And so if, if we did offer such treatment, we would be charlatans, shysters, and uh, medicine scam artists uh, like Alex. J no, I shouldn't say that. He'd probably sue me. Uh, or maybe Lenny Posner would. So anyway, uh, don't buy any horse pills from us. Okay, enough disclaimers. Here's our slide for the week. And I, I really like this. I didn't do this, but whoever came up with this meme of the sacrifice to Moloch Pfizer, I thought did a pretty good job. Uh, what do you think, Lucy? Yes, very good. Says yeah, it okay, all, really. yeah, it says it all right there. Yeah. Children are, are not being very well treated these days, are they? Oh, boy. So yeah, uh, happier news. Um, well, the good news is that... Boris Johnson is gone. Bojo the Clown exit stage right. But the bad news is that Bill Gates is probably still in charge. Uh, as Bojo was about to be, uh, this, uh, have his premier, his, his leadership taken away, a mysterious UFO was hovering over London and Bill Gates was seen, no, his private jet was seen touching down over London on July 6th at the same time that Bojo was about to be yanked off stage. Um, Lucy, I take it that you would agree with this article that that may be more than coincidence. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's absolutely the case that, that he arrived just as Boris Johnson was being ousted. But of course, there are. We do know that they've had private meetings with with Johnson in the past that Gates has, that he's there haven't been proper minutes People have been asking questions about why Gates has been involved with um, these these cabinet meetings and so on. And it looks as though, unfortunately, the the lineup of candidates to replace Johnson is possibly even worse than he is. It, you know, some people are saying that the reason he was ousted is because he he couldn't be relied to be upon to be on message anymore. Maybe because he himself was seen to be. Um, somehow tarred by the fact that he'd been involved with these lockdown parties. So if there are hopes to bring that lockdown again next autumn, which it seems that the media is ram ramming up the story again, uh, that, that Boris might not have been the one able to deliver that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly it seems that the lineup of candidates are globalist, WEF controlled, and you've got Penny Mordaunt, who seems to have a massive PR campaign behind her. I wonder who's paying for that. Um, she has co-authored uh, a book with with the guy that's running her PR campaign. I forget his name. Uh, a very a, a big guy, apparently. Um, and had Gates write the introduction to, to the book. She's also been one of the WEF young leaders. She's been listed on on one of the WEF meetings in 2018 or 2019 on uh, globalization and, and change. And she's, you know, by all accounts, she's a 
what they call a, a sort of management communitarian who wants to use climate change to bring about transformation. She was pro-vax mandates, etc. She's also been, in a way, she's trying to row back her promotion of the transgender agenda, which she, she was promoting when she was a minister a couple of years ago, and is now trying to lie her way out of that, which people aren't buying, uh, which has weakened her position. Um, however, the, uh, the rest of the candidates don't seem to be much better. And um, then I think on the next slide, we're going to be talking about Tom Tugendhat, who <laughs> right. people were saying did the best in, in the debate last night. They had a, a debate amongst five of them. Um, Tom, Tom Tugendhat, he's, he seems to be a very ambitious young man. He was, um, he's not, never been a minister, but he seems to have been parachuted in to being an MP soon after being an advisor, maybe a military intelligence advisor to Colonel Richards in Afghanistan. He was only a reservist. He was never a full-time military person, but he seems to try to cover himself in his military credentials, which are as probably as limited as, as Penny Morton's. Um, he's always sort of promoting the fact that he was a soldier. He's a complete Zionist. He's never scared to be the first to scream anti-Semitism about anything. He has a Jewish and, he says, Catholic background. Uh, he was famously, he famously smeared the conservative philosopher Roger Scruton soon before he died by calling for him to be fired after the new, new statesman had smeared him as a, as a bigot. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, he's, he's a complete neoconservative. He hasn't seen any war that he hasn't been in favour of. He was one of the first to demand that Russians get ejected from the UK when Russia invaded Ukraine, even that wasn't necessarily to do with all Russians. He wanted to pull uh, Britain and, and the West out of the Swiss, SWIFT system, which seems to have been a complete own goal. And, um, yeah, so I'd say that he's, he's, he's not good news either. Yeah, it looks and, like all, uh, all of these people are yeah. not really that different from Bojo in terms of being fanatical cheerleaders for the war on Russia through Ukraine. Absolutely. And many, many of them have uh, aspects that are actually worse than Bojo. Now, this guy saying that the naughtiest thing that he'd ever done was invading two countries, yeah. uh, which makes him a war criminal who deserves to be executed. Well, that's pretty naughty. It reminded me of John Cleese in A Fish Called Wanda, sort of, you know, dressing up in fishnets or something. This naughtiest thing I've ever done. Uh, well, but he's, he's a pathetic. war criminal. Yeah. Well, he thinks that it's something to sell. You know, he thinks that that's an, a positive aspect to his character. I mean, he's so <laughs> deluded. He's yeah. so deluded. He thinks it's sexy he was, to commit war crimes. I mean, yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, he was he was basically calling for the British to stay the course in Afghanistan last August when everyone was sort of leaving on on the you know on the back of airplanes. Uh, you know, so deluded is this young man uh, that he you know again clearly he is. Another puppet who's controlled, as is Rishi Sunak, who was, who's the young Indian Brit who, uh, was the chancellor during, again, one of the cabinet members during the time of the disgraceful policies that were rolled out around COVID. And Rishi Sunak himself, he tries to sell himself as a conservative. None of these people are really conservatives, except potentially, um, Tugendhat, although he's, as I said, a neocon, which, um, you know, means that he's not really pro-Britain. He's pro neo, neocon adventures abroad, but Rishi Sunak, I mean, he was responsible for, for printing and spending vast sums of money, billions of, of pounds, which went missing during the, the COVID scandal. Um, so the irony would be if he became prime minister that he'd then have to deal with the hyperinflation that he himself has helped to create by his own policies. Uh, and then the last one, of course, is Liz Truss, who I think everyone's seen enough of. 
thanks to her appalling role in the Ukraine uh, war and uh, her rolling out of the uh, cliches and unquestioning rolling out in support of, of the war and constant demonization of Putin and Russia without any context uh, or intelligence, really. I mean, she seems to be robotic, actually. She was very robotic on the debate last night. So, no, a really poor lineup for the UK. Yeah, it's, it sounds like the, yeah, the good news is Bojo is leaving, but the bad news is that yeah. even worse is still to come. The only real good news would be if uh, this position never got filled. Okay. Well, moving That's on really... to, to the equally sad situation in Washington, D.C., the Washington Post is now uh, promoting a new adversary for the Pentagon. It's the Middle East. Wait a minute, don't we have enough adversaries? I thought China was the number one geopolitical problem, that Russia was on the verge of nuclear war with us, but we still have to go back and invade the Middle East again. Well, we never stopped invading it, actually. Mm -hmm. As they mentioned, the U.S. is still occupying Syria, uh, and it's, the Post is worrying about, quote-unquote, aggression against the U.S. presence in Syria. Uh, what do you mean aggression? The Syrian government has invited uh, Iranian supporters and, and Russian supporters into Syria, which is absolutely legal. And the U.S. has illegally invaded Syria, making that's a war crime. Everybody involved with that also needs to be executed. Um, but you're not going to read that in the Washington Post. No, of course not. And um, I mean, I was watching Vanessa Beely yesterday on UK Column News, and she was talking about how things do seem to be heating up again in Syria and in the northwest, um, as there is um, the, a new sort of alignment between the Turks and the Russians. And I think that in terms of humanitarian corridors, the the Syrians and the Russians have now decided that humanitarian aid doesn't it needs to stop going in through Turkey and start going through. Damascus and, and also to the northeast, um, precisely because of all these problems that they've had with these these pro proxy groups like HTS and and um, these Al Qaeda affiliates uh, linked to the White Helmets, who are uh, you know have been used as a sort of battering ram, stroke Trojan horse, humanitarian, so-called I mean they're, they're 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 basically just proxies, they're military proxies pretending that they're humanitarians. And I think that's probably what we mean by the fusion doctrine. It's, it's this sort of fusion of humanitarian and military. And they use that to, to, to act deceptively and to deceive that they're, they're trying to, um, deliver aid, etc. I mean, in the UK, this is why they rolled differed up into, into the foreign office and the cabinet office. So, well, this was a pretty, a pretty good uh, deconstruction of the Washington Post article by Melvin Goodman, who yeah. is a John Hopkins professor, former CIA analyst. So there, there are a few insiders who occasionally tell the truth, and uh, but you won't see them published in places like the Washington Post. Uh, well, another uh, sane person in high places, uh, surprisingly enough, the U.N. Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. Yeah, he's calling for blacklisting Israel over the um, murders and mistreatment of children. Israeli forces killed 78 children, uh, maimed 982, uh, brutalized and detained 637 during this period they were looking at. 75% uh, of children who were detained by Israel reported physical violence. So speaking of Moloch, our slide for the week of uh, sacrifices to Moloch, it seems that the representatives of the Jewish religion who supposedly ended sacrifices to Moloch with the story of Abraham and his non-sacrifice of his son have become mm -hmm. the new uh, Molochians. Yeah, I mean, this it's it's quite surprising that Gutierrez has actually spoken out because the UN isn't always very good at speaking out. I, mean, I suppose particularly since Goldstone was smeared for his reports into Israeli atrocities 
in was it was it in Lebanon back in 2006 um but uh, no it, it's not surprising i mean they do seem to have complete impunity to to behave in the most disgraceful genocidal and appalling way and they especially hate children lucy i mean this is Absolutely. just so disgusting how uh yeah. uh the uh high level minister was talking yeah. about exterminating not only the little snakes meaning the children but also the uh, the mothers who give birth to the little snakes I mean, talk about a call for genocide and a call for deliberately mass murdering children. You know, I mean, you, you know, they talk about blood libel, but I mean, who needs blood libel when you've got her? Well, I mean, and it's multi-generational, isn't it? I mean, my grandfather was out in the Middle East. He was um, commander of the Royal Artillery there back in the 50s. And he saw all the, 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 the refugee camps and the Palestinians being murdered in villages by by these people who'd come from abroad, these Ashkenazim who'd come. Um, I know I think we need to start changing our terminology and, and start, you know, stop talking about Israel and start talking about the Zionist entity occupying, occupying Palestine. Well, that's what the entire Islamic world has been calling it forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the West needs to start calling, calling this out as well. Um, you know, if it's not journalists, it's children, isn't it? And they just, they seem to have complete impunity. And, and um, Biden so, yeah. is going over to high five them, you know, and uh, by, Biden's trip. Yeah, he's he's totally approving the you know the, the uh, murder of American journalists, the murder of children, and he's also approving the Saudis' uh, similar atrocities against civilians. Uh, just this week, uh, seventeen were killed or injured in a Saudi strike breaking the truce in Yemen. Right. The Saudis have been raining down death and destruction on Yemen for yeah. how many years now? Is it? I can't even keep track. What is it? Well, the British too. Yeah. I mean, you've got British people flying the flying the bombers and, and Americans, yeah. and they're all selling them weapons. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they're doing Biden very well in the weapons industry. Biden promised to push back against the Saudis when he was running for president. And now yeah. he's over there uh, bowing and kowtowing to them, kind of like Trump did. And speaking yeah. about Trump, Trump and the Saudis, is Trump responsible for the high oil prices? That's been the contention of some. And this takes you back to April 2nd, 2020, when mm. Trump pressured the Saudis to cut the oil supply to raise prices. But, well, come on, folks, back in April 2020, the oil prices were so low that it was mm. putting U.S. shale production out of business. Today, the prices are so high that mm. it's killing the Western and the whole global economy. So it's a totally different situation. And I would argue that obviously we can't blame Trump for these high oil prices, which did not happen because of this. They happened because of the U.S. war on Russia through Ukraine. Right. Is this... Is this Reuters article? I can't quite see it from there. Yeah, this is a Reuters article. Right, well, that's typical, isn't it? April you know, yeah. who owns Reuters? Um, yeah. But uh, no, I, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the oil price right now is high because of the sanctions and because of the blockade, which is an entirely self-imposed, I mean, it's, it, it's a boomerang policy again by the West. You know, they love to blame Putin for it, but it's their own policies that have led to the high oil prices and, the knock-on effects throughout the economy, stagflation and, and so on, and now food shortages, etc. So uh, I don't think we can blame Trump for that. And I understand why he did it at the time, because the oil price, I mean, it was so low that they, they'd overfilled all of their storage units and they couldn't shift shift the stuff at the time. Yeah, that's just what all U.S. Thing. presidents do. They, they try to strong-arm the Saudis into pushing prices in the direction that they want. And yeah. so Trump did that, and I'm sure Biden's doing that. The Saudis are reaching the point where they may not be listening as much, though, because they're, they're starting to develop links to other countries, China in particular, 
and right. uh, they're open to Russia. They're no longer quite as reliable a U.S. Uh, puppet state as they used to be. Yeah, because I hear that MBS basically told Biden where to go last week when he tried to get him to, uh, was he trying to get him to cut the oil price and, and to release more oil onto the market through OPEC? And I think he just said, you know, certainly not. Um, that's what I understand anyway. And Biden didn't even have the temerity or the audacity to even bring up the subject of Khashoggi and the right. Bonsa. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's so, so much for uh, the U.S. running the world. Maybe we should yes. just admit it and pack up our empire, go home and fix our own infrastructure and fix our own country. But that's too sensible for anybody in D.C. to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, but let, let's move on to another area of your expertise, Lucy, mm-hmm. which is Afghanistan. And in this case, there's a war crimes scandal breaking out. In mm-hmm. the UK, as the special forces in the UK are being probed for their illegal killings, meaning that what they call part of their job, just doing their job, involved just randomly slaughtering people, uh, kicking in doors, mm-hmm. uh, guest houses, uh, anywhere where there was some suspicion there might be Taliban, they would just go there and kill everybody. Uh, and these people were almost always unarmed. They would throw down guns. Uh, a lot of, according to the article, many former British soldiers who did this are now suffering PTSD and alcoholism from memories of what they did. And mm-hmm. so this is the story in the, uh, what was this, the, the Daily Mail. And then the next story is from BBC about how British journalists actually did their job on this issue to a certain extent and helped expose this, which, of course, you know, during during these wars, people tend to actually understand that this is going on and they help cover it up. And so it's funny. It's interesting that it's taken so many years for them to report on this. It's been simmering for a while, this story. And I think the BBC might have done something before, which is, again, it's quite surprising that the BBC are actually doing their job. But there is a sort of an ongoing um, animosity between the British military and the BBC. And uh, I mean, this story has been running forever. I remember hearing something about this back in 2011 when my book came out and I was doing. Uh, a bit it's of called The Afghan talk. Solution, by the way. Let's plug your book. It's yes. a great book. The Thank Afghan you. Solution. Yeah. And I went to a place called Marlborough College in the UK and there was a chap called General John Lorimer who was there. I was on a panel with about five men. They were mostly ex-military and when I dared to say that I'd heard that these capture or kill raids were more kill than capture, i.e. they didn't want to detain people, they just shoot them dead. He abs- I-, I thought he was going to beat me up. I mean, he was furious that I said that, absolutely livid. And I just stood my ground because I had it from a couple of really quite good sources. And, um, yeah, I mean, it seems the way that the BBC have uncovered this story has been through following a um, one of the SAS regiments on a six-month tour, and they were apparently there for a year or six months. And um, they've gone through the documentation, and they've gone through specifically the the number of weapons that, that were taken in and the number of de- detainees who were killed. And quite often it seems that far more people were killed than weapons recovered, which indicates that these people weren't a threat. And in the doc documentary which I watched the other day on Panorama. I mean there was some footage that has appeared before which was very disturbing. I mean extrajudicial killings being carried out in the orchards of Helmand. Um but in the documentary it indicated that these people had been shot dead in their beds or as they were lying asleep at night or in guest houses. And in that part of the world in Afghanistan it's very normal that you might have a guest room in the compound and people might come and stay. 
and they could be cousins or friends of cousins and other people. And they interviewed some some old sort of hajis who talked about how their sons or their their you know their family members had been killed. It was really heartrending. Um, some of them might have had some a couple of people who might have had something to do with the Taliban with them. But in that part of the world, everyone has something to do with the Taliban. I mean, when I worked for the UN in Kandahar during the time of Bin Laden, the year before 9/11, you know, we had a Talib running our office. And he was the one who did the translations between Al Qaeda and, and the Taliban and the Indian Air- Airlines flight that had been um, hijacked and landed on the tarmac at Kandahar about two years before 9/11, I think it was 1999. But um, no, so it's not unusual that people would be Talibs or have some sympathy for the Talibs. It doesn't mean you go in and kill them. The problem with the Brits was that they had they had virtually nobody who spoke local languages. So they relied on local interpreters who might have had their own um, scores to settle with some of these families. And uh, their intelligence was just absolutely appalling. And, and this is one of the comments that was made in the documentary. What someone said the intelligence was not of a high enough standard to go in and kill people. There were mistakes made at every level. And I don't find that hard to, to believe at all. And I also remember at the beginning of the Iraq war in 2003, when I was um, I was a freelance journalist at that time in Afghanistan, uh, I came back to the UK and I met someone who was a sort of who's no longer a friend, but she her her husband was a senior chap in the Army Air Corps helicopter pilot, and she was saying, "Oh, yeah, of course it's fine to to torture Iraqis, you know, we all think it's fine," kind of thing. So that is, and her husband was a senior chap. That is the type of attitude that has gone from the top levels down to the bottom which has contributed to, to this type of behaviour. And I think also the problems were that the British weren't properly equipped, so maybe they felt very scared and they translated their fear into this type of brutality. But ultimately, no one from the UK Special Forces has been prosecuted and there have been, there has been no criminal investigation into this. So I think it's an absolute scandal. Um, it's that pe- people have been talking about this for a long time, and something needs to be done. People need to be prosecuted and themselves put into to jail if if they're found to be guilty for these types of appalling crimes. It's it's pretty pathetic, isn't it? The, the yeah. most powerful militaries in the world uh, yeah. using these utterly ruthless tactics with the gloves completely off, just randomly murdering so many people would end up still losing to a bunch of guys with pretty primitive rifles. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. it goes to show how pathetic the West is these days. And frankly, my Afghan solution, Lucy, would be mm-hmm. to execute everyone responsible for the 9-11 wars yeah. and everyone who took part in them, starting with the neocons who orchestrated 9-11 and mm-hmm. all the way down to the grunts. I mean, every damn one well, of them is a, a scumbag war criminal. And they should yeah. at least have the rifle, like Dostoevsky had rifles pointed at him in a firing squad. And then the czar granted clemency. Okay, mm. let's grant some of these grunts clemency. Uh, yeah. But every damn one of them needs to be condemned. I think that, you know, my experience of Afghanistan and I spent time when I was the advisor to the European Union ambassador, I had to go to these NATO meetings and I had to go to all these sort of coordination meetings in CFC Alpha, the, the compound of the, the Americans. And I, I came across all sorts of people, special forces and so on. And, and ultimately, personally, I found the Americans to be of higher quality than the British. Which may not be saying much. Particularly the special forces and some of the generals. However, I mean, some of the British generals, and, and in this, General Sir Mark, Sir Mark Carlton Smith is cited 
He was um, director of the special forces and he withheld evidence about this from um, another murder inquiry that took place. And he withheld evidence from the military police. Uh, you know, all these people who are covering these things up, they're all been given sirships. So the other person, General Sir John Lorimer, he's now a sir. Um, these are all people who have been um, involved in covering this up. And they, frankly, they are the ones who should be, who should be held to account. And um, the more junior people, unfortunately, are taking their direction from very, very low quality leadership. And I think this is partly why the UK left in such an appalling mess last August with its tail between its legs, seemingly having spent over a decade in Helmand without well, 15 years, actually, at least, um, with with no understanding of local dynamics and, and local tribal dynamics and even less an interest in actually finding out. So uh, it's really not, not a surprise that they're now losing losing in Ukraine because um, the Brits are very much in the vanguard of, of promoting that war. As yeah, between it's, as it's, well. Brit, it's Brits and, as Philip Giraldi says in this next article, as we move into our, our war on Russia session, yeah. it's also Jews. Uh, this awesome, article, yeah. How Jewish is the War Against Russia, uh, yeah. starts out by pointing out that the neocons, who, of course, have a philosophical position that isn't necessarily Jewish. It just so happens that 90 plus percent of them happen to be Jewish uh, and all of them seem to love Israel and the genocide of Palestine. But these are the yeah. people who brought us the war on the Middle East that killed up to 25, 30 million people, according to Gideon Palia. These are the people who are bringing us the current war on Ukraine that is going to be starving a vastly larger number than that, the way things are going. And so Giraldi goes through the list top three State Department officials, Blinken, Sherman, and Newland, are all Zionist Jews. So is the DHS head, the Attorney General, Biden's Chief of Staff over in Ukraine. Poroshenko, the previous leader, replaced by Kolomoisky, the Jewish oligarchs, hired Jewish actor Zelensky. Mm. Uh, and the journalists, journalist Brett Stevens, New York Times, Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper at CNN, Max Boot, Washington Post, they're all Jewish neocons. Seven of the eight Russian oligarchs are Jewish neocons uh, with dual citizenships. And, of course, Putin got them under control. And now these Zionist Jewish oligarchs, who apparently largely rule the West, have gone to war against Russia because of this. Now, not every Jew, of course, is on the side of this corrupt Zionist oligarchy. Tikkun, which is associate with Rabbi Lerner, recently published Jeffrey Sachs's article exposing yeah. the neocon Jews who brought us all of these wars from the 9-11, which they did, up through Ukraine, which is likely going to destroy the planet. So uh, I thought this was a great article, and this subject is completely taboo, and it needs to be talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing, I mean, it's a very brave and detailed expose. Um, some of the names that popped up were, of course, the Kagan family and Victoria Newland, who has been in all, uh, she seems to have been in many administrations from Bush uh, Jr. through Obama and now Biden, where she has just gone through causing an absolute train wreck. Um, she, of course, orchestrated the 2014 coup in Ukraine. And then there is the, the, the wife of one of the Kagan family, Beverly, somebody or other, who runs the Institute for the Study of War. So what these people do is they set up these think tanks and they all, they, they give themselves the veneer of credibility, but basically they're just, the Institute for the Study of War is apparently funded by General Dynamics and Raytheon. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're basically just shoddy warmongers. And um, there was a brilliant documentary called A Very Heavy Agenda, which came out about seven years ago, which I watched. It's quite long. 
but it really taught, it gives you the detailed background on on these people, naming names and going back to their relationship with um, Strauss um, and so on. And you know, it talks about their modus operandi, the, the shell games that they use to undertake this chaos. And I think they need to be called out for it because otherwise, as you say, we're, we're just going to end up uh, in, in a nuclear conflagration. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're completely nuts, these yeah, people. Absolutely. And of course, you've then got Christia Freeland, Trudeau's deputy, who herself is a Ukrainian Jew, and um, who's the, who the, well, of course, the New, Newland and so on. It seems like they're settling ancient sort of blood feuds by using the apparatus of the Canadian and the U.S. Uh, institutions and government to settle their own, you know, family family right. blood feuds right, right. Back generations the, ago. Hazarian Jews have Absolutely. a grudge against the Kievian Rus, the founders yeah. of Russia, who basically put them out of business about a thousand years ago. Yeah. Well, this piece by Giraldi, former CIA officer, is it doesn't go quite as far as a new piece that I'm about to be publishing. It's actually almost book length uh, right. by Richard Cook, who was a former mm-hmm. NASA analyst, the guy who blew the whistle on the Challenger disaster. And he's going to go into this in more detail and also argue that there may be a sort of escape hatch plan where the Zionists in occupied Palestine, if things go as far south as they look like they may be going, will be heading to Ukraine to reestablish Hazaria which would be yep. their true ancient homeland. So uh, yep. stay tuned for that uh, that article. So let's, let's move on to more Ukraine war news. Zelensky's army is suffering heavy losses, and now it's getting into the mainstream. So the recruiters are chasing 18-year-olds on bicycles. They tried to grab uh, some guy who was drinking by the lake, and he jumped in the lake to escape the recruiters. Uh, these kinds of incidents are becoming more common. All men between 18 and 60 are forbidden from leaving Ukraine under martial law. There are new laws coming to force them to remain in their vicinity until they get called up. Uh, so they're just grabbing anybody, uh, people with no military experience, people in, in atrocious physical condition, people who have no interest in war, no ability, uh, no propensity for, for the kind of thing you have to do in wartime. So no wonder this meat grinder is not going well for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, this guy, Ian Birrell, he's definitely a, an intelligence asset, so-called journalist. He's been promoting the war from the get-go. He's now obviously turning around and trying to somehow modulate moderate his position. Um, there have uh, there have been reports about this sort of press ganging going on for some months now. Uh, and, and the Ukrainian armies, I heard that this week there was one particular day where they lost 500 men who died this week. So um, the war is not going well for them, and it does seem that, that Russia will be controlling the, the entire Donbass region fairly soon. But, but see, that won't even end the war. Even if the, no. the Russians end up owning the entire southern coast, the Black Sea coast, and the whole Donbass, it looks like the British are then and the Americans are going to train an insurgency. And we just learned that the UK military is now openly bragging about training 10,000 Ukrainians on British soil. Yeah. Um, and these are, quote, largely volunteers who lack any prior formal military training. So just grabbing people off the streets, flying them to the UK and training them in insurgency. Well, good luck with that. I mean, these people are probably setting themselves up for a lot of suffering. I mean, they, they've learned nothing from their their experience in Afghanistan and the billions of pounds worth of taxpayers' money that's been thrown away there, where they were unable to build an Afghan national army. They don't understand about legitimacy 
locally and, and local politics. And they're always talking about how military operations should be politics through other means, you know, as, as in Clausewitz. But they don't bother to avail themselves of what politics is. They're so dumb, most of them, that, I mean, the senior ones, and I think some of the younger are higher quality. But um, basically, this idea that you can just bring 10,000 Ukrainians to the UK and train them and send them back to Ukraine, they're not going to want to go back. They're probably being brought to the UK so that they can, you know, increase the numbers in, in the UK. Um, the rate of attrition of the Ukrainian army, national army, is far higher. And also, these people are not going to be, it takes much longer to train officers. So if, if, if people are dying and officers are dying, you can't just replace them with someone that you've trained in the last few weeks. It's completely fanciful, but again, not surprising. Um, and, uh, you know, partly why I think the Russians have been so tactically so far ahead of, of the West. And uh, there are still some sane voices in the West on this war, and a long list of them signed an urgent appeal to the world public opinion, stop the war before it's too late. Uh, and these folks all point out that none of this is going to help Ukraine win. It's, it was impossible to win from the very beginning. It's destroying Ukraine, and it's an increasing nuclear war risk. Speaking of which, New York City is now prepping citizens for nuclear attack. Um, bend over, put your head firmly between your legs, and kiss your ass goodbye, as the poster has it. Um, yeah, that's funny, but it's not so funny that this stuff is back, right? It was the early 60s when mm -hmm. they were doing duck and cover drills, and now they're doing it again in New York. I, it seems to me, Lucy, that things, <laughs> the leadership uh, these days has just deteriorated atrociously. Mm -hmm. Well, it's more fear-mongering, isn't it, Kevin? I mean, they just want to keep people in a, in a perpetual state of fear so that people good, aren't good going to question. To fearful of this, well, there is, but, you know, we also need to hold them to account for their appalling uh, the, the stewardship of our countries because we do seem to have, a, as Martin Armstrong says, we seem to have an incredibly low calibre of politician throughout the West at the moment. And... Um, you know, by contrast, the BRICS countries are getting their act together and the West is going to be completely left behind, largely because they've staffed themselves with these awful West, Doug and you know, Klaus Schwab graduates, these nasty little psychopaths like um, this woman in New Zealand. Uh, well, yeah, we're, yeah let's, let's move on to that topic. If, if, yeah. they, if you know, the best way to depopulate the planet, is, of course, would be a nuclear war. That would work. That would depopulate the planet really fast. Georgia Guidestones might even be exaggerating if they think there would be half a billion people left after that. Um, but who knows? There may be other means, uh, kinder and gentler means of depopulating the planet, such as vaccinations. Well, maybe... Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced yet that that's the case, but I'm not convinced it's not the case either. Uh, the UK government points out now that vaccinated account for 94% of all COVID deaths since April, 90% of which were triple quadruple jabbed. So currently yeah. in the UK, vaccinated people are dying disproportionately. Unvaccinated people are actually technically, statistically better off. Now we can argue about whether okay, all the high-risk people have been vaccinated, so of course most of the deaths are vaccinated. That's what some say. On the other hand, what about all those people who were too frail to vax in the first place? There are a lot of those people too. So end of the day, these statistics are basically telling us that the vaccines cannot be working very well, if at all, and they may actually have negative efficacy. And then that leads to the question of the risk-benefit analysis. It doesn't look like there's much benefit, if any. How about mm -hmm. the risk? And then in the next slide... 
we see that there have been 20 times more adverse events reported, 23 times more deaths with COVID vaccines than all other vaccines combined in the last 20 years in Germany. So I guess Madeleine Albright from Beyond the Grave asked if it's worth it. She says, yes, I think it was worth it. Uh, <laughs> half a million Iraqi children, um, deaths among working age Americans up 20 to 40 percent. Uh, so anyway, this article, this particular article, mm, it, it cites a couple of people I'm not that uh, really infatuated with, Cliff High and uh, Deagle, the Deagle Report and so on. Um, I'm, I don't consider those credible. Yeah, but sources. Kevin, actually, if you listen to the interview with Christine Anderson, who is an MEP with the AFD in Germany, uh, it's a very powerful interview. I listened to it this morning. And, um, you know, she's talking about Armageddon from the, the vaccine adverse events, the fact that we've got all this chaos around air travel globally at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, she is saying is, is very likely uh, a direct result of vaccine mandates, which have contributed to all these cancelled flights and people unable to work uh, in, in airports because they either had to resign if they were pilots because they didn't want to get vaccinated, or if they did get vaccinated, they're likely suffering pericarditis or myocarditis or whatever the effects have been. And she cites the um, data from the European Medicine Agency, the EMA, which shows that the COVID vaccines have had more deleterious effects in terms of deaths than all other vaccines rolled out in the last 20 years together. So she says the obvious thing would be that it, you know, they have to be pulled immediately in this ridiculous, these ridiculous mandates have to be halted. Uh, but um, you know, ultimately that's what's causing the, the, the flight chaos. She says across across Europe. She also says that the flight regulators have failed to do their job in terms of the European Safety Agency, um, that they put out a bulletin in March 2021 telling people that they had to get vaxxed despite the absence of any data on the impact of in-flight conditions on the severity of side effects of, the, of these new treatments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they failed. They also apparently... International coalitions of medical regulatory authorities and the documentation within in the inserts of these injections shows that there no testing at all has been done for mutagenicity, genotoxicity or carcinogenicity. So in other words, there's basically been no testing. And yet all these people were mandated to to take these injections. So, so, so there may there may be a depopulation effect. Uh, there yeah. certainly is a depopulation of airplanes effect. The air travel uh, is definitely messed up because of this. And yeah. the people who refuse to take the injections, people like the world's greatest tennis player, Djokovic, I get it mixed up with the world's greatest Denver Broncos basketball player who has a similar name. Yeah. Uh, this Djokovic guy is now, and his wife is in a Twitter war. He, this guy mm. won Wimbledon on Sunday. And he's not being allowed to compete in the U.S. Open in August because he can't fly into the U.S. Right. Uh, due to being unvaccinated. So that's, I think, our next slide uh, on uh, Djokovic, the uh, so-called poster boy uh, for the anti-vax movement. Well, hey, uh, I think he's probably making the right move. Yeah, he's definitely making the right move. And I think that his wife's probably had quite an impact or quite an a, a influence on, on him. I think the both of them take their health very, very seriously. And she shot back at this NYT journalist, Ben Rothenberg, who was the one who smeared Djokovic. Apparently this guy's a, a well-known tennis journalist who took a cheap shot at the Serb, because Djokovic is obviously Serb, so he deserves to have a cheap shot, I guess. Um, but uh, well done to Yelena Djokovic, who shot back and said that um, rather than being a poster boy for the anti-vax movement, he's going to be a, an icon. 
and that said that, you know, he, he chose what was best for his body. And uh, surely, you know, this guy wouldn't also want to be judged as being a poster boy for hate and bullying. So um, and I, th I also find it very ironic that these are the same people who promote abortion as somehow being, you know, one's own personal choice of what one does with one's body. And yet with the vaccine, they show an entirely different standard. Yeah, there's a lot of inconsistency in, in such things, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Very, well, yeah. Well, you know, the, probably the, the worst single effect of the COVID containment measures so far, anyway, has been the economic crisis that has killed millions of people around the world. According to official figures, maybe six or seven million may be dead from COVID, and the total number dead from the COVID crisis is closer to 20 million, therefore... It looks like almost twice as many, maybe 13, 14 million people have died from these indirect effects of lockdowns. Uh, and we're seeing it getting worse all the time. The Sri Lanka uh, situation is a, a food crisis right now. That's what it's really all about is people not having enough to eat. And it all got started with the COVID lockdowns. So mm. these COVID containment measures may or may not be killing off huge numbers of people through vaccines and things like that, but they're definitely killing off huge numbers of people through economic devastation that's continuing now as the Ukraine war makes it even worse. Yeah, I mean, lockdowns, money printing, uh, the Ukraine war and the green policies are going to be the death knell for, for many countries and regimes, I think. And some people have been saying that the World Economic Forum had been behind uh, this move to to ban um, nitrogen fertilizers in in um, Sri Lanka, and they're blaming they're blaming um, the the move to organic farming. I think it's quite interesting actually because gosh, almost 30 years ago I went to Cuba um, to look at their organic farming transition in, in the face of the U.S. blockade, and I met Sri Lankans there who were at a conference on sustainable agriculture. And already at that stage, which was the, I think it was the mid 90s or the late 90s, they were interested in converting uh, a lot of organic, a lot of land to organic. Now, I wouldn't say, I'd, I would say that, you know, banning the use of chemical fertilizers, obviously before you're ready to convert to organic, that's may, maybe not a good idea. But, um, you know, obviously the way ahead should be sustainable agriculture for, for much, if, if we want to have a green transition. Uh, we can't do it before we're ready, but, but when people are ready, it, it needs to be, you know, we need to think about farming more sustainably rather than paying people to set aside areas of their land. Um, and, and, and we don't want to be uh, saving the planet at the expense of human freedom, such as by no. completely controlling everybody, turning humans into robots that can only consume X amount of resources. Over in Hong Kong, they're yeah. putting uh, COVID bracelets on people. If you're in home quarantine, you wear an electronic bracelet. And the next thing will be these bracelets will be reporting on everything you do. And I guess a totally controlled population uh, could be controlled enough to save the planet. But I'm not sure that would be worth saving. No, I mean, it's again, it's just another step on the way to the technocracy, isn't it? And it's, it's very scary because, because what happens in China, I think, might ultimately come to us, particularly if they get these central bank digital currencies and a social credit score and they have complete control. The more we allow them to move ahead into this techno technocratic society. So, um, yes, horrible. And the technocratic controllers are basically trying to preserve their immense privileges. The, the powerful, wealthy oligarchs uh, are not subject to any of these measures. They're the ones who actually are controlling everybody else. And they don't mm -hmm. seem to really care too much about the fate of the ordinary and poor people. You know, we just saw Sri Lanka with its hunger crisis and millions of people in the streets 
Uh, and uh, here's an article. Uh, the next slide is about how uh, this uh, attacking energy supply, which is happening both indirectly or supposedly unintentionally through the sanctions around the war in Ukraine, but also directly in terms of going after uh, carbon uh, polluters and so on. This is actually harming the poor more than anybody else. Mm. And one wonders whether the oligarchs are deliberately harming the poor and even killing the poor, as the Baudelaire poem and the Dead Kennedy song would have it, because that's precisely how they want to do their depopulation. I know they're not the ones who are volunteering to depopulate themselves. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, again, it's this great reset agenda of cutting off oil and gas before the world is ready, trying to force people into this great reset. And these psychopaths don't seem to give a damn about the the regressive impacts of these policies and how it affects the poorest people first. Uh, they're obviously, you know, they're, they, they're obviously not affected and they, they, they have no empathy for people who can't afford to uh, feed their families or fill up their cars uh, or heat their homes. And, and this is going to be the case in Europe, I think, come the autumn, the impact of these bans on, on Russian energy. Uh, are going to start to be, well, they're already being felt, actually, because there's already a state of emergency, really, in Germany. And Hungary is now, ironically, moving back to coal and oil-fired power stations. So um, it's having an, an interesting effect, but it does seem to be the kind of the last gasp of, of these, the Great Reset, uh, well, the people behind the World Economic Forum, Great Reset. So, so yes. Crazy, so along, crazy. alongside the hunger protests in Sri Lanka, we now have the Dutch farmer protests. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a very hopeful sign. They're blockading highways with tractors. They even sprayed manure on the town town hall in, in Lokum. And they're, this is all because they're being told to reduce their livestock about 30%. And at the moment of global food shortages, suddenly going to war against food production seems pretty crazy. Uh, so, as you said, Lucy, this is spreading. The Dutch farmer protests are triggering other actions around Europe. And pretty soon Europe might start looking like Sri Lanka, both in terms of hungry, uh, shivering people. I guess they don't shiver in Sri Lanka, but they get hungry. Right. It might get actually worse in, in, in Europe. Uh, and then also in terms of protests in the streets. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, this is this, this psychopathic leader of Holland, this, uh, is it Mark Rutter? Who is again? It's, he's talking about 2030. By 2030, they intend to have halved nitrogen and ammonium pollution by reducing livestock numbers by 30 percent, thus driving farmers out of business. And people, there is some, there are some rumours that the land is being bought up by Vanguard and, and BlackRock. I don't know if that's true. I haven't seen any links on that yet. Um, but. Uh, you know, the, so the farmers, some 40,000 farmers have been demonstrating and now they're being joined by other others like firefighters and so on. I think that, again, the EU spends billions of dollars every year on supporting agriculture and, and supporting farmers. Why are they paying people to set aside land and to, to do nothing with it and to rewild it? They should be spending much more on more sustainable agricultural systems, more localised agriculture and more, more localised food systems uh, so that um, we don't have these these problems as globalisation breaks down and as the supply chains uh, are so disrupted that we suddenly find that the, the shelves are empty and that there's nothing on the shelves because we have no localised food systems because everything is sort of industrially farmed. And again, I think, you know, these problems we hear about Bill Gates buying up a lot of farmland in the US and possibly also in Europe, um, 
I'm rather terrified to hear that that he's being allowed to do that, given his his track record in in pretty bad policy making, I'd say, and his influence on on politicians. So, if, if a war on food is part of this depopulation program, uh, there are other parts as well. Uh, we already talked about COVID jabs, possible World War Three. Well, how about the deployment of five G? Some people think that five G radiation may like uh, like COVID and the COVID jab. And of course, COVID itself is a bioweapon. All of these things yeah. might attack human fertility. Currently, sperm counts are a third of what they were back in 1950, and they're dropping rapidly. They've dropped rapidly since COVID, and there's evidence that the vaccines might be contributing to that. So uh, now bring in 5G, pretty soon people aren't going to be reproducing anymore. I guess they're going to have to make new people in test tubes, and they're probably going to be taking, like, Jeffrey Epstein, right, who was trying to clone mm. himself, uh, and, you know, artificially breed. That's that's going to be the new thing is, is maybe cloning little Klaus Schwab. I think that would be a pretty uh, unfortunate future for humanity if it was nothing but cloned little Klaus Schwabs, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. But even here in Switzerland where Klaus Schwab lives, here in Geneva where I'm based, where so much of this awful policy is being made, even here, you know, in our local village, I've, I've asked the commune, why is it that we're having a 5G mast put up when people are so against it? And they've said, we're also really against it. The problem <laughs> is, is that the federal government is overriding our objections and we have no say now. So even the, the Swiss direct democracy is breaking down. So, so, so people can do something about this, though, at this activist post uh, site. Um, it's in our story links, and people can find those by way of my False Flag Weekly news page. Uh, and you can find that at, at, uh, at heresycentral.is. So uh, this is a, a webinar tomorrow to promote uh, the Stop 5G deployment in Europe. Uh, it looks like a fairly big anti-5G movement, Lucy. Yes, I hope so. I just hope more people sign and, and fight locally um, because one, I think it is possible to stop masks locally, but you have to act locally. And, you know, there have been some stopped in the UK and there have been, but, you know, again, as I say, it's just, it seems like a sort of juggernaut that's rolling over us despite all our objections. And I dread to think what's going to happen when they change the frequency of these masks, which they will be able to do, uh, and whether that will potentially interact with the vaccine to produce more symptoms of what people might ultimately think of viruses, but may not be, you know, anything to do with viruses, potentially related to the impacts of the radiation and, and the frequency levels that are selected from the 5G rollout. Who knows? Well, uh, yeah. I'm actually going right after the show to see Ron Johnson speak at a picnic in Verona, Wisconsin. And uh, people can find that by way of my radio page. If you know how to find mm. my radio schedule blog, look at the radio show from last night, and you'll find the link to find that uh, event. So that means I have to kind of rush through these last week. Mm. Nine stories okay. left in nine minutes. We're going to have to go pretty fast. Uh, first, um, ex-CIA agents running Facebook, like Aaron Berman, the senior analytic manager. So all, all of the security type stuff and whether you get censored, it's all run by CIA include and and. F FBI, DOD uh, type retirees, right? They go from mm. these agencies to Facebook. I'm sure that makes you feel more secure, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, they won't even let me into Facebook now unless I give them my <laughs> mobile number. So I'm done with Facebook. Okay. I don't want to give them my, my mo mobile number. That's enough. Done so, with yeah. Facebook. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's a, a good policy. Uh, the next story is oh, back in the UK. Journalists who have any kind of connection to any foreign outlets, which is any place other than the UK, uh, 
false flag weekly news, I guess, could be considered a foreign right. outlet. So, Lucy, you better be careful because yeah. if you obtain or disclose any protected information, you could go to life, go to prison for life. Uh, well, I feel like I'm not in the UK now. <laughs> oh, good for you. Partly for so that reason. You. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't feel like going back. Yeah, that, that's um, completely insane. Isn't that's it? part of the charter for a dictatorship, which is so many of the bills that are going through Parliament at the moment, which people aren't paying enough attention to. So, so yes, I mean, it's absolutely mind blowing that they can be removing these protections for whistleblowers and, and so on. And that, you know, the national security state just seems to have complete stranglehold now on so many aspects of governance. And we have, again, as I say, these morons who are pretending that they are going to be politicians and leading the country. They are so obviously now, it must be so obvious, even to the most unawake person that they are just puppets. They're marionettes. For, for representing the deep state, basically. So the, the, this crime of obtaining and disclosing protected information, well, hey, that's the job description of a journalist. When that information is in the public interest, <laughs> that's what you do. You obtain and disclose it. So I guess you can't practice journalism anymore in the UK. Uh, moving on to back to the land of the free and the home of the brave. Hey, Lynn Cheney, or Liz Cheney, right? I can't keep all these Cheney women straight. Uh, she... Uh, she's saying that the, the January 6th committee says Trump tried to do some witness tampering. And then the other uh, story about Trump's crimes in the next slide is that we already heard this weeks ago that Trump asked the Justice Department and Attorney General Jeff Rosen to seize voting machines after the, the election. And Trump uh, threatened to remove him and put in Jeff Clark. We already heard that. That's old news. Um, and uh, the really shocking news this week, the whole shocking bottom line from the January 6th hearings is that the United States government doesn't like coups. What are you talking about? We've, we've had we've run 25 coups in 25 countries just since the year 2000. The U.S. government loves coups. So why not have one in Washington? Yeah, no, but, I mean, that's that's not not a surprise to me. And then the next slide, we see John Bolton is not only admitting, but bragging about uh, planning coups. And he's saying this to try to absolve Trump. He says, you know, it takes a lot of hard work. And that's not what Trump did. He's, Trump just stumbled around from one idea to another. So he's saying Trump isn't guilty of trying to organize a coup because Trump is incapable of organizing a coup. And here I think Bolton, for once in his life, may have actually told the truth. He's pulling the curtain back, isn't he? And it's rather shameless. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, shout out to, to John Bolton telling the truth. That's definitely a man bites dog story. Mm -hmm. uh, so meanwhile, another another coup d'etat is brewing as the New York Times is about to oust the president of the United States. That's right. The New York Times is basically telling Biden it's time to go. So here's the New York Times story on mm -hmm. the left. And then there's the Pat Buchanan uh, breakdown of it on the right. And this New York Times story is quite amazing talking about Biden. He shuffles. He trips. He stumbles. Uh, he's flat and listless. He loses his train of thought. He's confused. He talks about President Harris. He vows to fight China over Taiwan. He says Putin cannot remain in power. And all of his aides are cringing and wondering what he's going to do next. I thought I was reading one of these right-wing outlets. I thought I was reading Steve Bannon here. But no, this is the New York Times. So the New York mm. Times is, as Pat Buchanan says, it's providing cover for ambitious Biden rivals to take him on in the primaries, just like Gene McCarthy and Robert Kennedy took on Lyndon Johnson in 68, and Ted Kennedy took on Jimmy Carter in 1980. And of course, that always means a one-term presidency. So, hey, the Times just overthrew the president of the United States. That is a coup. I think, I mean, Biden's been a very useful cover for them to, to, to roll out their agenda, hasn't he? I mean, you know, one, one would almost think he might be an actor, the, the way that he blunders and blusters around. But he's been a super useful cover. I mean, they've, you know, they've done what they want and they can just blame him when he goes. 
Yeah, well, obviously. The state blame him. Right, right. They, they don't have a problem with the policies coming out of his administration. Their problem yeah. is that he is so bad in terms of acting the role of yeah. president that he's likely to get clobbered by, if not Trump, then some Trump acolyte, which they don't like. So they, they want him out of there. They want somebody else uh, to be waving the Democratic standard. And it would probably be somebody who would just have the same policies, the same advisors and so on as Biden. But they wouldn't be stumbling and shuffling and drooling and so on. They would uh, look a little mm-hmm. more professional. Who do you think it's going to be, Kevin? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Harris is, I think, even more unpopular than Biden last I checked. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't, shouldn't be her. Uh, and, of course, Hillary, no. She's also hated. Uh, who could it be? I mean, Buttigieg flopped. All these other people flopped. Of course, Biden was flopping, too, and that didn't stop the establishment from picking him. So I don't know who they're going to foist on this. But whoever it is, I'm probably going to feel sick to my stomach when I find out. Yes. <laughs> like like the line that we have in the U.K., yeah, I yeah, guess. I think we're, we're yeah. the Anglosphere is, is actually, you know, struggling to see who can have the worst leadership. I mean, you know, in Canada, Australia, and, and to some extent, New Zealand are all working on that, too. I mean, it's really, uh, it's a yeah. it's a race to see who can have the absolutely worst leadership. Absolutely. Uh, and did did we did we miss the story on uh, T- Tony Hall's story? Oh, no, we're coming up on that. Okay, the last section here is the long reads worth reading. Um, mm. First by Michael Hudson, fantastic uh, story here. This is, the, as Hudson explains, the world war that's going on right now is a war between the Western oligarchy, which is a, a system, the neoliberal system allows oligarchs, that is super wealthy people interested in politics and power, to just buy up everything, to buy up yeah. the politicians and to run the whole system for their own power and profit, which then keeps increasing. The only alternative to that is a strong government that is stronger than the private oligarchs. They mm-hmm. have that in Russia. Putin, Putin's power came from uh, knocking down the oligarchs and disciplining the others. They have it even more in China and Iran. And that's why those countries are in the crosshairs of the oligarch-ruled West. So Hudson nails it exactly right here. We're seeing World War III. It's the mm-hmm. corrupt oligarchs versus the uh, relatively civilized states that have strong states with strong leaders that can discipline and uh, and, and maintain and contain uh, the power of oligarchs. Yeah, and that includes now the BRICS countries they're, they're aligning with, of which in the last few days, Egypt, Turkey and Saudi Arabia apparently joined with the, the rest of the BRICS and, and to, to ally with, with Russia. So, um, it, you know, it's the sort of unipolar world order against the bipolar world order or the multipolar world order, I should say. Um, but, yeah, very interesting times yeah, that we live in. And the multipolar world order actually seems to be going back to what civilization was outside of the Roman Empire back when there was this check on the power of oligarchs mm-hmm. and usurers. Uh, and I urge everyone to read Hudson's article. And I also urge everyone to read the next article by Tony Hall, our False Flag Weekly News colleague, uh, who wrote a terrific piece on the Can- Canadian mm-hmm. truckers movement, talking about the Coots 13. And there are like four or five guys, five, I guess, in particular, who are being charged with murder on what looks like a trumped up charge. And this, mm-hmm. these charges came just hours before Trudeau invoked the revised version of Canada's War Measures Act. And then uh, over in Ottawa, Pat King remains in prison for counseling mischief. He was a leader of the truckers movement and the mischief he counseled was just organizing these peaceful protests. So the whole thing is a complete farce and Trudeau is making a really good case for himself as the worst of the worst Western leaders. 
Yeah, he's absolutely appalling. But I mean, again, this is like your stock authoritarian response, isn't it? It's where you invert reality. It's a bit like what's going on with these January 6th hearings and the January 6th situation where you've actually got these political prisoners in jail and they're saying that it was an armed insurrection when it was clearly nothing of the sort. I was watching it on TV at the time and I have friends who were there. So um shocking, absolutely shocking that they can get away with this type of thing, which is the behaviour that we kind of normally associated with the former Soviet Union and so on. Um, but that, I guess, when we're inverting into into those authoritarian style states ourselves, as they seem to be in, in the East, or not, not China perhaps, but Russia seems to be opening up and becoming a much more free society than, than our own country in the West. Yeah, well, these do look like show trials. And I'll be talking about this with Tony Hall. We'll be recording a mm-hmm. radio interview next week, so stay tuned for that. Okay, and our final story, most important story of the week, was that <laughs> Madame Tussauds Wax Museum took Boris Johnson's waxworks down to the local job center uh, where Boris can hopefully find a new position as a waxworks leader, which is pretty much what he always was, although his hair wasn't really waxed down quite as well as it should have been. But other than that, he was a pretty good wax figure. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I think we do. We, I don't know if we have. Yeah, we have the last. So there he is. There's Wax Johnson in front of the job center. So, Lucy, you think we should offer him a new position as a commentator on False Flag Weekly News? Absolutely. I shouldn't think Carrie would be very happy with that, though. I don't think it'll keep her in the style to which she's become accustomed. That's okay. Carrie, Carrie Antoinette, his wife. Carrie Antoinette. Well, yes. you know, I don't know. If Boris, if Boris joined False Flag Weekly News, maybe we'd have a better track record raising money because we're falling behind, folks. And that's my last reminder to you. Uh, and, uh, anyway, thank you so much. Lizzie Morgan Edwards, I really enjoy talking with you. Pleasure. And uh, your analysis is spot on. Keep it up. Good to see <laughs> and, you again, Kevin. Okay. I'm Hope the meeting goes well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you Bye. so much. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye.